the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Everyone on earth in their natural condition is under the curse of God. We'll explore that curse and its remedy next on Abounding Grace. You know, we are all sinners, and we're all doomed since we've failed at the one and only thing God has made us for. But God sent his only son to save us from the curse, his own curse. From Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, who takes us back to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. It's another look at the power of the cross. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Now, why did God need to be satisfied? It's because your sins violated God's judgment or justice. If you go out and violate civil laws and justice as man sees it, you'll be arrested and you'll be punished for violating civil justice. Well, we have violated by our lives in rebellion against God, His justice, and His justice demands punishment. God's justice demands satisfaction. And His justice is going to destroy us and punish us eternally for our sins unless God provides a substitute, which He does not have to provide, in which justice can pour out its punishment on the substitute in place of us. And that substitute satisfies God's violated justice, which we have transgressed. He becomes a curse for us. That is the curse that was over our head because of our sins God placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we deserve, He bore. There's a great verse that we referred to last week in 2 Corinthians that says, He that is he that is God the Father made him that is Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf not to be a sinner Christ was of course never a sinner but to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God in him so you see we have these two sentences. You have the sentence that says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be saved. And you have the sentence that says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. Our sins, our curse, our deserved hell was on the Lord Jesus Christ and he died in our place and by his death on the cross satisfied God's justice, paid our debt turned away God's wrath, and effectively removed the curse of God for everyone for whom he spilt his blood. Now, beloved, that is the significance of the death of Christ on the cross. 
Had he not died on the cross, there would be no hope for us. I mean, we could believe in Jesus all we want to. You could believe everything in the Bible you want to. And you could believe in God with all your heart and go to hell when you die. Because without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we have nothing. What part does that play in your daily thinking and prayer? Your hope for the future. When you're daydreaming, how many times are your thoughts filled with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's our only hope. If you are a Christian... There's no curse on your life anymore. And it's not because you removed it. It is because it was removed. And you were redeemed from it. Because Christ took that curse upon himself for us. Look again at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. In the Greek words for us, a preposition means in our place. In our place, he bore the curse. In our place, he bore the penalty we deserve. And as a result, that curse was lifted from us. It's interesting in the rest of that verse how Paul uses another Old Testament verse back to back up the substitutionary sacrifice of the nature of Christ's death. See there at the end of verse 13, it says, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Turn back to Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Here you will see the whole verse that Paul's referring to. And he's using this to support his position that Christ on the cross was accursed by God, not for anything he did, but for us that we might be delivered from that curse the moment we believe in him. And it says, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree. But you shall surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you will not defile the land which the Lord God gives you as an inheritance. In other words... The dead bodies of condemned and executed capital criminals. Now, remember, they didn't practice crucifixion in the Old Testament, uh, Israel at least. And that's not the point. But they have a practice to deter crime and to magnify the justice of God by taking the corpses of those condemned and executed criminals guilty of capital crimes and hanging them on trees. Why? So that everyone could see their corpses and understand the reason they were hanging there was not because they broke any law of man, but they had broken God's law in capital criminal behavior and therefore were accursed by God. And Jesus was nailed to Calvary's tree, the wooden cross, as an accursed and condemned criminal publicly exhibited as the one who God had cursed because he was covered with the sin and guilt of God's people, you and I, in whose place he died. And this is the heart of the gospel. I want you to notice something else about this verse. The death of Jesus Christ fully and completely accomplished forever what it it was designed by God to accomplish. That is, the eternal salvation 
of all of God's dearly beloved chosen people. Christ did not simply try to remove the curse, nor did he merely think it possible for the curse to remove from those who complete the transaction. Nor does his redemptive work on the cross need to be completed by us or by our faith in order to be effective. Our text says that Jesus actually and truly became a curse for us, thereby effectively removing that curse from us once and for all when he died on the cross. He removed it completely and single-handedly. We contributed nothing. We completed nothing. We make nothing effective. By grace, we rest on his perfected accomplishment of our redemption and we receive all of the blessings his death purchased for us. We do nothing to accomplish it. He accomplished it all single-handedly. And now he gives us the grace to rest in that one death and to receive the salvation. He puts it in our hands. And the moment you rest in that tree of Calvary where Christ was a curse for us, that moment, no matter what you have ever done or who you are, God, the judge of heaven and earth, declares you not guilty and accepts you into his family and nothing. Nothing can ever alter or change that relationship thereafter throughout all eternity. The moment you believe and nothing else. And it is because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He removed the curse from all of those for whom he died. And the moment you believe in Jesus, that is the moment you believe what the Bible says about Jesus is true. In fact, remember the vow you took when you joined the church? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you rest upon Him alone for salvation? That is, do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus is true? And have you yourself gone to Jesus Christ and prayed to Him that He would be what He claims to be to you in your life? Have you ever said to Him, My sin has blinded me. I need a prophet who can shine light into the darkness of my heart and give me sight. I read in the Bible that you are a prophet from God. Oh, Jesus, be my prophet and heal me of my blindness. Jesus, my sin has separated me from God, made me guilty and liable to eternal punishment. I need someone to take that punishment and to heal that breach between God and myself. I read in the Bible, Jesus, that you are a priest and that you came to intercede between God and sinners by laying down your life as a victim. I pray you would be that priest to me. Jesus, my sin has enslaved me. I need someone to set me free from slavery to sin. I read in the Bible that you are a king. I pray that you would be my king and you would break these chains that have bound me. You see, faith isn't asking Jesus into your heart. You know, that's a perverted gospel. No one has ever been saved by asking Jesus into his heart. But anyone is saved who believes in Jesus, who believes what the Bible says about Jesus is true and prays that he will be those things to this person as this person fully bases his salvation on the work of Christ. 
And the moment you believe in Jesus, the moment you begin to receive him into your life, the rest of your life on this planet throughout all eternity, the blessings Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross are yours. Now, what are those blessings? In other words, what are the effects of the death of Christ on us? What did the power of the cross purchase for us? Well, our text says two things. Two great blessings that the book of Galatians says the death of the Lord Jesus Christ purchased for us. And, of course, beloved, there are many other things we got through the cross. But this is what this text talks about, which are justification by faith in Christ alone and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at a couple of verses. Look at Galatians 2.20. That verse tells us that we are justified by faith in Christ because we have been crucified with Christ as our representative. That is why God can declare us not guilty on the basis of Christ's death because when Christ died on the cross, he acted as our representative and we are in legal union with him. Remember, he was our proxy and whatever he did, And whatever he did, he did in our name. So being crucified with Christ, when he was crucified, means that now God justifies us because Christ died for us and we were in him when he died. What does it mean to be justified? I I can't repeat this enough because this is the heart of the gospel, beloved. The heart of the gospel is not believe Jesus and it will make you feel better. Believe Jesus and you won't be lonely anymore. Believe Jesus and it will cure your migraines. No. The gospel is believe in Jesus and you will be justified by God. Justification is what a judge does when someone standing before him is accused of a crime and the judge looks at the evidence and decrees that person not guilty. Well, God goes even further. God sees the sinner who is guilty. And at the moment that sinner believes in Jesus, God not only declares him not guilty, God erases his past and accepts him into his family as if he had never sinned. All on the basis of what Christ did for him. And that is why the moment you believe, you are justified. You receive one of the greatest blessings of all. And once the judge declares you not guilty, he never, never reverses his decision. That's why we know once God saves us, we can never again be lost. It's not because of anything in us. It's not because we are strong. It's not because we are determined and we're going to stick to it until the end. It is because the divine judge has made a decision concerning you out of his love for you. On the basis of what his son did for all eternity, he has declared us to be not guilty and accepted into his family. Now, the second blessing is found there in verse 14. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So the other great blessing that we get because of the death of Christ is the promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, it's interesting to see how much about the Holy Spirit is written in the book of Galatians, which is a book on justification. 
In fact, in this book and throughout Paul's writing, the gospel has two focal points. And he comes back to these two things time and again. Both of them are also rooted and promised in the Old Testament. Number one, justification by faith in Christ alone. He never tires of hammering that into our heads, as you probably think I don't tire of either. And to number two, which is at least an equal emphasis, is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the justified believer's heart. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the necessary, vital, essential complement to the doctrine of justification. You see, justification opens the way into a new life with God. The Holy Spirit in his work within us creates that new life that God gives us and develops it, bringing it to a perfection. In justification, God deals with our standing. We have a certain legal standing with God. Before we believe, we are condemned. That is our legal status before the judge, before the new birth. The moment we believe... The condemnation is removed, and we are declared not guilty and accepted with God. Justification has to do with our standing with God and how he sees us, what God declares about us. And remember, that is all that matters, is how God sees you and not how you see yourself. Before that moment, you were his enemy, and God was hostile toward you, and you were hostile toward God. When you believe in Jesus by his grace, that moment, the hostility in your heart changes, the anger in God's heart changes, and you are reconciled, and you are declared not guilty. Your standing with God changes the moment you are converted. But there's something else, and that is your actual condition. You see, your actual state is changed. It's one thing to say that as far as my standing with God is concerned, he sees me as righteous because of my union with Christ. But then the other side is, how am I really? Am I righteous really? Yes, because when you are brought into union with Christ, he kind of rubs off on you. And that certainly isn't a theological term, but it is a metaphorical statement. He rubs off on you. That is, when you are brought into union with Christ, Christ not only legally declares you standing totally different than than you were before, but then he begins to change your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He actually begins changing your actual state and condition. So the moment you have faith in Christ, because God has regenerated you, Your standing with God changes and your actual condition starts to change. Beloved, that's what the new birth is all about. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, we read, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the gospel is the power of God into salvation in that it reveals righteousness from faith to faith. Now, there are two words I want you to remember. The gospel imputes righteousness to us and imparts righteousness to to us. Understanding the word impute is essential to understanding the gospel. 
This is a Bible word. It's not a theological word that someone thought up in some ivory tower. Both the Old Testament and New Testament use the word impute. And to impute means to credit to someone's account. It's like you have a debt. You can't pay it. So someone with a lot of money credits enough money to your account to pay that debt. You have a debt with God. You owed him perfect righteousness. You couldn't pay the debt. Jesus came by his life and death and credits his perfect life and death to your account just as if you paid it yourself the moment you believed in him. That is imputed righteousness. But God does more than just affect our standing. You see, God changes our condition. God takes the depraved sinner and changes his heart and begins a process with a new birth of making the believer as righteous as the humanity of Christ. So the moment God gives you a new heart and you start believing in Jesus and are justified, The moment this process begins within you of conforming you more and more into the image of Christ until when you die and then when you are resurrected from the grave, you will be as righteous as Jesus in his humanity. But the process begins at the new birth, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And that's why the doctrine of the Holy Spirit complements Paul's doctrine of justification by faith. Because you and I as sinners must not only be saved from the punishment of sin, we must also be saved from the inner corruption of sin that has darkened our hearts. The Bible says that fallen flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, you must be born from above. You not only need a representative to pay your debt, you need a total transformation that can be described in terms of the new birth only. You have to be born all over again so that this corruption that once filled your life no longer dominates you. In other words, to make it as simple as possible, there are three things keeping a sinner from God. And keeping him under God's condemnation. And the gospel of justification by faith and the work of the Holy Spirit answers all three of these obstacles. Three things keeping everyone who is not a believer from God. He has a bad record. He has a corrupt heart. And he has an evil master. He has a bad record. A whole life of rebellion and regrets. He has a corrupt heart. It is deceitfully wicked and desperate above all things. Who can know it? And he has an evil master in that he is a slave to Satan himself and energized by satanic power. The gospel of justification by faith deals with his bad record. For the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ erases that bad record and it can no longer be used against him. The Holy Spirit comes into a person's heart and changes that corrupt heart into a heart that loves God, that has God's law written upon it and sets that person free from his evil master, Satan, putting him then under the mastery of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is both of these things together that present us with a complete gospel that deals with our sin fully and forever. In justification by faith, 
our standing changes. The work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts regenerates us and it sanctifies us. And it cleans up the corruption that is in us. Both of these are essential or we will never be accepted with God and get into heaven throughout all eternity. And they are both ours, my friends, through faith. And that is why Paul emphasizes both of these time and again and presents them to us as the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he purchased for us. For without Christ's blood, you and I would have nothing. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.